for this time. We thank You for these three men who bring the message to us every Sunday, Father. We thank You for the way that You bless them, the way that You put the words in their mouth, Father. We just ask You to open our ears up this morning and to listen to the message, Father. And we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wait a second, though, because I want to just thank Mike, first of all. He did a great job. But I also wanted to say there, there's, a, there's a group of people here from Solid Rock Church that have come here and kind of folded into us right now. And they're going through a, a tough time. It's a transitional time where they're waiting on the Lord. And, and it's just been great to have them here. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you're from Solid Rock, maybe just raise your hand so people know who you guys are. There's some back here, some over here. I don't know if you're from Solid Rock, but you raised his hand, so that's okay. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We love having you guys here worshiping with us. And I just want to say a quick prayer. I'll, I'm going to put hands on you and pray for all of you guys. Father, we just thank you so much that we are just have this unity in Christ and that, that when people come from other churches, they can immediately fold in his family. And we thank you that, that we get the privilege of just being able to surround them right now in this time that they are in transition and seeking your will, Lord. And we seek it along with them to just know what what you would have, and and we want to be obedient to that. So while they're here, Lord, help them to feel loved, help them to be rejuvenated. Um, and again, Lord, we are excited about what the future holds and what partnership we might even have together in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to um, tack on to what my son Zane said as far as a praise goes, because uh, when you get a call at three in the morning, that your son and daughter-in-law and grandchildren's house or garage is on fire, it's a very scary thing. And if you saw the pictures on the news of this thing, uh, the, the shop and the house are 10 feet apart from each other. And what is between those two structures is a bunch of wood that's really dry, pallets and firewood. And it really doesn't make sense that the house didn't burn down. And phew, Praise God. Yeah. Uh, Val heard a pop in the, in the night. Uh, something, you know, probably one of the cans exploded in the garage and woke up Nathaniel and said, you need to go see what that is. And, and he, she does, she always hears things in the night and wants him to go check. So my son's got kind of an odd sense of humor, if you can imagine that. And, and he comes back and says, grab the kids, call 911. And she's like, Nathaniel, don't make fun of me for, you know, for thinking something's going on. And he's grabbed the kids and call 911. I mean, it was, uh, and it's just amazing that they're all safe. The house didn't even get damaged at all. No smoke even in the house, it sounded like. So, so we're praising God, but they did, you know, Nathaniel lost a lot of stuff, but Val did too. She had all of, all the baby clothes, all of the, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that was packed into that garage that's just gone, everything gone. And so, um, I'm praising God, but yeah, they, they're, and my son's really having a hard time. He's not a super sentimental guy, but he's a pack rat. He just lost, he just lost a lot of stuff. So he's, he's, uh, they're both kind of hurting. Okay. That's my praise. Now we're going to open up and to turn to the book of Acts. This morning, we're going to be doing an intro to the book of Acts. I've called the sermon liftoff. Because that's what we're looking at is the beginning of the New Testament church. Seven and a half years ago when we started the door, we also went through the book of Acts. Uh, it was fitting based on what we were embarking on then, and it's fitting for what we're embarking on again now. We've always had the intention of planting churches. Um, our philosophy has always been to grow out rather than to grow up. And that probably sounds kind of funny because but it means grow big, right? We want to mature, obviously. But we have no desire to, to build an empire or to make 
a big name for ourselves uh, individually or even as a church. Uh, we just want to make the name of Jesus famous in as many places as possible. Our desire is to find areas that are not being reached with the gospel and begin new works in those places. The book of Acts has a very similar theme. It was written by Luke to showcase the great acts or deeds that took place as the church was founded and as it began to, to spread out and to, to reach new people in new places. The title that eventually stuck for this work uh, was is the Acts of the Apostles, though many have suggested that the Acts of the Holy Spirit uh, may have been a, a more appropriate title. Luke covers three decades of the early church as history or as the church spreads from Jerusalem outward. And in many ways, the, the book of Acts is like a church planting guide. It lays out the things that the church is supposed to be about, what it's supposed to be doing. And it kind of gives us front row seats to witness the beginning of the New Testament church, which is a monumental event to see. I, I picture it like if you were at Cape Canaveral watching the first rocket launch into space. It's, it would be kind of like, you know, you get to see something that is just incredible. And that's what the book of Acts gives us. Uh, the countdown to the, to the first liftoff of the church happened 2,000 years ago, and it continues to roar through history. And it's crazy to think about a movement like this that began that long ago and is still going strong today. I mean, think about what lasts 2,000 years. What fad or movement or whatever you call it lasts this long? And, and it's still impacting lives, and it still is relevant today as it was back then. It's kind of crazy to think about. It stands the test of time. It's also amazing to think about how it got started. It was just a handful of rather unimpressive men and women empowered by the Holy Spirit, but they shared a message that began to, began to just spread very rapidly and very quickly. It, it reminds me, if you, you guys ever been to the, the Metolius River and seen how that thing gets going? It, it, I just thought of that picture of um, it comes up out of the ground. So if you're standing on this little deck they have to, to look at it, you, you're looking down at the ground where the water's coming up out of the ground. You look to the left, no river. You look to the right, river. I mean, it's just like, it just starts out of nothing and becomes this, this huge thing. And that's what the church was like as it, as it started out. The cool thing is that God is still using handfuls of unimpressive men and women to expand his kingdom today. And this church is proof of that. Uh, not to build up your self-esteem too much, but I'm talking about us mostly. I mean, eight years ago, a few people gathered in the Thompson's living room, not really knowing what might happen. And to think of all the lives that have been touched um, how many people have heard the gospel since we started? Uh, how we've blessed this community? There's just—it's it, pretty exciting to think about what's taken place in, in, in a re relatively short amount of time. And we're confident that God's not done with us yet; that this is going to just continue. There's more work to do, and whether that means we focus here in Three Rivers or the Riverwoods or Southeast Bend or wherever the Lord would lead us, there's still a lot to do, and, and God will build His church. I love that, that verse in Matthew. God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I just take great comfort in knowing that he is going to continue to do this. Now, while I believe that is completely true, it's also true that many churches don't last. Statistically speaking, there's some bleak statistics out there about churches right now. And so when it says the church will you know, continue, it doesn't mean all churches everywhere. It means some churches. And so this is important for us to think about as we get ready to go through the book of Acts. As we study through this, it's good for us to do a little health check and see where we're at. Because statistics say 
that 85% of churches in America are either plateaued or declining right now. An estimated 30,000 congregations shut their doors in the United States from 2006 to 2012. That's a lot. Tom Rayner says that between six and 10,000 churches in the U.S. are dying each year. So that means around 100 to 200 churches each week are closing their doors. And that pace is going to accelerate unless congregations make some dramatic changes. And so enter the book of Acts. This is an opportunity for us to, to kind of go back to the original recipe and see what they were doing and, and make sure that we're following suit in that regard. I think it's good for every church to step back from time to time and, and just take an honest and objective look about where they're at. Make sure they haven't lost their way or convince themselves that they're healthy when they're, when they're actually not. And we need to do that too. Um, you know, we need to kind of sample the product. I like those cooking shows where somebody brings out the, the dish that's perfect and then they go and sample it and then they try to recreate it. You know, we need to, we need to compare the recipe here to make sure that, you know, it still tastes like the same thing. You know, is there not enough salt? Is there too much sugar? What's going on in here that, that needs to change? From time to time, we, we will hear people that have been here since the beginning say these ominous words, things just aren't the same as they used to be. And it's kind of heartbreaking to hear that sometimes because, you know, that it's usually not a compliment. <laughs> it's like, you know, we miss how things used to be. And the truth is, they're right. It's not the same as it was when it started. When it started, there was um, a very clear excitement. It was a small group of people that had a very clear and concise mission. And as we've gotten bigger, it has changed. And, and you can't help but have that. When you go from 50 people to 200 people, change will occur. But hopefully... The, the method, the, the mission hasn't changed. That's the important part. Hopefully we haven't gone off the rails when it comes to what we're all about. And, and we need to kind of evaluate that sometimes. I love the way God has built this church. It's not how we would have done it at all. We would have never been able to do this if we would have tried. I look around at all of the different age groups represented, and everybody's here. And I love that. That's something that we didn't think would happen. Uh, you know, who, you know, who, who over a certain age is going to want to come and be around a bunch of, you know, young punks that don't know what they're doing. And yet people showed up, you know, we have people with, is it silver hair or blue hair? I don't know which one's more complimentary. <laughs> Peyton Jones calls old people grippers. I don't think that's good. He says when they see him, they're like, oh, and they come up and they try to like grab hold of him. So I, I don't think that's probably it either, but that, that cracks me up. We have young people, more young people coming in, more young families coming in. It's great to see how God has built this church. I'm convinced that if this was a multicultural kind of a, a place, it's really not, but that we would see that here and here as well, because we really do seem to attract a little bit of everybody. And as we've said before, we play nicely in the sandbox together. This is like a junk drawer of just about everybody and everything as far as denominations. I mean, seriously, you look around. It's a very diverse group of people. And the only thing we really have in common sometimes is Jesus. Praise God. That's great. That's, that's plenty to have in common, right? So God has done this amazing thing, and, and we're, we're thrilled about it. But it has changed. The fact that we have gotten bigger, though, means, you know, and things have changed means that, again, that's why we want to grow out and not just grow bigger, because we'll have those same opportunities to start small things again and see that same work reproduce. So change will occur. Are we on the right track? Are we still a church that is fulfilling its purpose? And just so that we're on the same page, I think it's important to point out 
uh, or to define maybe what the church is. Because the word church is interesting. Today, most people think of church as a place. If somebody were to ask you what you were doing today, you said, I'm going to church. And you meant the building. But that's not what the New Testament calls the church, right? It's it's just where the church meets. This is um, a group of people is the church. It's followers of Jesus. And I was raised Roman Catholic, so it took me a while for this to kind of change over because I thought of the church as this sacred and holy place and not a sacred and holy people. And it's a very different different thing for sure. So learning to redefine the church as a living organism made up of people rather than an institution uh, or an organization has taken me time, but I finally get it. Right? We don't go to church. We are the church. The Greek word for church is ekklesia, and it, it refers to a group of people who have been called out of the world for the purpose of following Christ and making him known. That's really what the church is. Later in Acts 28, Luke records Paul's words to the Ephesian elders who have been appointed to the task of overseeing the church. And he reminds them that the church was purchased by the precious blood of Christ. You know, that's not a land transaction. That's not a building. That's you and me. And it's crazy to think about that. He loved us so much that he purchased us. He sacrificed himself to buy us, right? That's good. Revelation 5.9 also lets us in on this heavenly worship service that's taking place where they sing a song to Jesus that says, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. So that's the church, those he called out. And why have we been called out? As Pastor David had a sermon a while ago, called out to call out. That's what we're, that's what we're here to do. So we can go call out others. That's why the church exists. We're the physical representation of Jesus in the world. Some people say, like, we're his hands and feet. That gives you a good kind of mental image of, of what we're here to do. We were left to finish what Jesus started, which would seem like an impossible task if we were here by ourselves doing it, but he hasn't left us without help, right? He's given us his Holy Spirit, and he's given us each other. So we don't have to go it alone. He expects us to work together as a unit. This is good news because I'm not good at a lot of things. But together, we can be really effective. The Bible compares the church, you guys know this, to a body, which means that you know it's got all these different moving parts, all these interconnected um, parts that make up one body. Each member is important and has a role to play. There are a lot of churches out there, and I'm not trying to pick on other churches, where all you are called to do is come and sit in a seat on a Sunday and then do the, you know, repeat that process next week. We don't want that. We want to see every person in here using the gift that God has given them to benefit the church, to serve your fellow Christians, to lead lost people to Christ. Each one of you is valuable and important. And, and I'm, I'm excited. You know, a lot of churches don't even allow that. Sometimes it's our fault because we're not giving you the opportunity to use your gifts. You know, there's lots of reasons why. But please, if you're not plugged in, if you're not doing something, you would benefit everybody by, by starting to become um, helpful in this regard. I love the idea that um, we have to rely on, on each other because the church today is, has this mindset of individualism. I don't know where it come from or when, when it started, but the idea is... You know, almost like you've you've torn, you know, a limb off and you're saying, I don't I don't want to deal with, you know, I don't want to be with these people. I don't want to I don't know where that came from, but it's like, you know what you're doing there? I mean, you're hurting yourself by not being a part of this. You need to be connected. 
we were always meant to be a group of people working together on mission together. And I love the togetherness that we see in the early church. If you look at the book of Acts, you get to chapter two and so forth. We're not going to get anywhere near there today. But you see this this connectedness, this doing life together is, is the the phrase we use today. Let's do life together. Right? They were, though. They were eating together. They were praying together. They were ministering together. They were together. And it made a huge difference. So as we embark on the book of Acts, our hope and prayer is that it will unify us as a church and that it will motivate us to be on mission together. And this morning, we're just going to look at the first five verses and draw out some things that the early church was committed to, uh, things that we should also be committed to, and that will ensure that we are a healthy church whose lamp is burning bright, right? And that uh, it's fulfilling its purpose here on earth. So with that in mind, if you go to Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them and his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Um, Luke starts out the book of Acts by making reference to what he wrote in his first book. Who knows the name of the first book that Luke wrote? See, you guys are awesome. I knew I could count on you, right? Who can tell me the difference between sublapsarianism and infralapsarianism? Yeah, <laughs> I thought John might say yes, but <laughs> I'm not going to put him on the spot. I don't know if I could do it, but they're big words that sound impressive. So that's it. But you guys got Luke right. That's good. Just like in the Gospel of Luke, he's writing to somebody named Theophilus. And the truth is, we don't know who he is. We don't know much about him. Some people speculate that he was a wealthy guy, a Roman citizen that actually funded Luke's research to write these things. We, we just don't know for sure. But Luke does say that in the first book, the Gospel of Luke, he dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so the implication is that his work continues in the book of Acts. But it's going to look a little different because what happens in just a second here is that Jesus is going to ascend to the Father. So he's not going to be here. So what's this going to look like? It's the church now that's going to continue to do this work empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's how it's going to happen. Now, to be clear, Jesus' work on the cross is complete. So with the idea that there's still work to be done, not in regards to our salvation. And I want to make sure that we all get that. Because I love that Jesus said it is finished on the cross. The work of redemption is done. There is nothing more that can be done. There's nothing that can be added to it. There's nothing we need to do other than believe and trust in what Christ did. His death, burial, and resurrection resurrection is what is what we trust in for our salvation. Our job as the church is to spread that news to everyone. Redemption's complete. The message that we need to get out is not. So the foremost thing the church must do is exalt the person and work of Jesus. Any church who isn't doing that would be better off just closing their doors. I really wish they would. And that might sound preposterous that that, that could be happening, but it's happening all over the place. Even, even today, churches right now are not focusing on the person and the work of Jesus. Instead, they're choosing to focus on preaching self-improvement, right? Three steps to a better you kind of stuff. 
they're focusing on teaching moralism. Try harder, do more, you know, get better. Or they're preaching a gospel of health and wealth, saying that, you know, if you believe in Jesus, all your wildest dreams will come true. Right? And that's idolatry. The idea that if you if you get Jesus, you'll have houses and cars and things like that. That's not the prize is Jesus. Those other things are not the prize. Jesus is the prize. And so that's what we that's what's going on all over churches today is they're glorifying and exalting man. They're not exalting and glorifying Christ. Since the start of this church, we have endeavored to keep the spotlight. I'm sorry. I'm tired. It's been a long week, but we have endeavored to keep the spotlight on Christ, not on us. There's nothing impressive to see here. He is he is the one that we want everybody to see. There's nothing else worth looking at. He's the main attraction and always will be. I saw an article this week. It was the anniversary of Charles Spurgeon's death. Um, he died in 1892, I think, and it was January 31st. But but he had the opportunity 18 years before he died to write something about what he hoped people would remember him by. And I thought when I read it, that that resonates with me, and I know it would resonate with David and Terry too. He said this, When you see my coffin carried to the silent grave, I should like every one of you, whether converted or not, to be constrained to say, He did earnestly urge us, in plain and simple language, not to put off the consideration of eternal things. He did entreat or implore us to look to Christ. And I thought, yeah, that's what I want said about me. You know, I want you guys to understand eternally what's at stake here. And I want you to look to Christ. And if we can, if we can point you in that direction every Sunday, that's the best thing we can do. So how do we make Jesus' works and teachings known. There's three things that that I thought of in this regard, and it's evangelism, discipleship, and preaching. Evangelism is one of those words that immediately makes most Christians feel really uncomfortable. It's like saying something like going to the dentist or something. It's just like, oh, sorry, Andrew, if you're here. <laughs> but it's it's one of these words that just causes you to kind of cringe. But the truth is, if we want churches to continue to exist, we need to have people who are willing to share the gospel with others, both individuals doing it and as a church doing it. We can't have the, the kind of us four, no more mindset, right? Because eventually the four will turn into three and then two. You get the idea. We must not be an inward or a closed off church. Because if you know what what, it's, what a pool of water is like that has no outlet, what happens? It becomes stagnant and dead and stinky. And, and that's why so many churches are dying, right? They're, they're not getting out into the world. So that means churches need to be outward. We need to take our Christianity out these doors when we leave this place. And it also means that we have to have a big front door. Are we the kind of church that opens its doors to sinners? Or do we dig like a moat and fill it with alligators? around the building to keep the baddies out. There's a lot of churches that have this mindset, you know, we're the goodies, they're the baddies, we need to keep the baddies out. And, and a guy, I don't know how to say this in a loving, you know, kind way, but we're the baddies, guys. We're the baddies too. The only difference is that Christ has forgiven us. You know, that's what makes us good. It's not us. So we want to we want to get the baddies in here too so that they can also experience righteousness that's alien to them through Christ. 
We need to build bridges for us to go out into the community and for them to come into here. And we've tried to find creative ways to do that. That's why we open our building up for so many different things. Theater groups come in here and do plays. And we have this brown bag program. And we just are constantly, there's an after-school program that's going to come again where kids are going to come here a couple times a week to do uh, a play kind of thing and, and practice for that. The more that we can get into the community and be a blessing to them, um, you know, the better off we're, we have to find these creative ways to do this. And of course, the goal is for people to meet Jesus. We can't lose sight of that. If we forget that part, then, then it's all for naught. It all goes off the rails at that point. That's what's wrong with so many churches that are focusing on social gospel and social justice issues. Those aren't bad issues, but if the goal isn't to lead people to Christ, then what are we doing? Right? That's what, that's what we need to get to. So we want this place to be a church where you feel uncomfortable, you, not uncomfortable, let me say that again, strike that from the record, where you feel comfortable inviting people to. You know, I've been to churches where that, that wasn't the case. I've been to a couple that I can remember where if somebody asked, like, where to go to church, I wouldn't tell them mine. Now, this, I do it at the door, obviously, all the time. I love this place. Come to the door. But I remember being in places where, I, I you know, they would ask. I remember one time we were at a church and Sai and Diane visited and they were telling us like what they were looking for to church and we're like, you know where you're going to want to go? <laughs> I didn't even tell them to stay. But it was because it was just, it was a dying church and I knew it, you know? So we want this to be the kind of church where you want to invite people. So with that in mind, we need to think about how we as a church come across to non-believers. Okay, now there's a, like seeker sensitive became a bad word for a while there because, oh, that church is secret sensitive. We've been accused of being seeker sensitive. Okay, the, the idea is that you just win people at all costs. You throw out the Bible, you throw out talking about things. That's not what we're talking about. We're just talking about trying to get people to come in these doors so they will hear the gospel. So that means every once in a while for us, it's a good idea, again, to step back and take an objective and introspective look at ourselves to try to imagine what we would look like through an unbeliever's eyes. Because we can become blind to a lot of things. My, uh, my brother and his wife bought, a, a, built a new house a few years ago. And when they were leaving the old house, they were, you know, you, you unpack all the things, you take all the things off the walls that have been there for 20 years or whatever it is. And when you get to the new place, you just immediately think, well, let's unbox those things and put them right back up on the walls. And their, their kids very lovingly said, please, Please, please look at these things objectively. Step back and think about what you're about to hang back up on the wall. You know, th there's dried flowers with country blue shelves and, and stuff that like hasn't been even cool for like the last 10 years, let alone 20. You know, and you're just, you're not thinking about it objectively. And it's nice that God puts kids in our lives to do this for us from time to time, right? To lovingly warn us. And so they did that. They thought, well, yeah, this is weird. Why would we even put that? We don't even feel, you know, those things don't spark joy anymore. Ah, just found out, found out who you are. There's a TV show that, silly, never mind, but a couple of you are watching it. Now I know. Anyway, the idea is that we have to do this every once in a while in the church too, because we just kind of, it's, it's the way things have always been. It's the way we've always done things. So you just kind of keep going with that. And what ends up happening without us even realizing it is, an, is a non-churchy person can walk through these doors and it literally feels like they've gone through some kind of a wormhole in time and like they're, they're on the set of a Lawrence Welk show or something. It's like, what is going on in here? Have you been, I'm not trying to be mean, but have you been to a church like this where you feel like you've gone back in time 30 years and it just is like, and the people are great. People are nice, but it just, you feel like you've, you're in a whole different realm of some kind. It's weird. We don't know what's happening. So we need to think about what we look like. 
what we talk like, right? Some people are still saying things like, I beseech thee to, you know, it's, we're not, I don't have a problem with the King James Bible. It's a good Bible, but we probably shouldn't speak King James English to people when they come in or Christianese. You know, the phrases we use, we got to just think about what do we look like? What do we sound like? What songs do we sing? What all those things we just need to think about again, not with the idea that we would compromise the message because no matter what we do, we cannot compromise God's word. No matter what we do, we're going to come off as weird as Christians because the world's going to think we're weird. We just don't need to pile on, right? That's, that's all I'm getting at. Um, God's Word has never fit into the world. It's never going to. That's okay. We can't change the message to appeal to the world. We can never compromise on this. This is good just the way it is. This is relevant just the way it is. We can contextualize it so if we're talking to a Jewish person, we should probably think along those lines. That's okay, but we do not change the message. I hope and I think that it, it does happen. I think Mike just testified to it this morning. When people come in here, they generally see a group of loving and sincere people who aren't pretending to be something they're not, and they welcome everybody that comes through the doors. And that's good. We want to be a church like that because hopefully as people come through these doors week after week, and the faces change and the, the people change. And I don't know who's going to stay, who's going to be back next week. It always kind of is fun to see what happens. But hopefully people hear of a Savior, that they hear that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who loved mankind so much that he came down to save sinners, that he willingly went to the cross in your place, that he suffered and died for your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again. And that if you will trust in that for salvation, you'll be forgiven of your sins and you'll have eternal life. That's the message that we have. And it's a good one. Amen. I just said amen to myself. That's like liking your own. That's like liking your own post on Facebook. I'm sorry. Shouldn't do that. The next way that the church ensures that it's making Jesus's work and teachings known is through discipleship, which is just teaching others how to follow Christ. You know, it's funny that the world has changed so much because we used to just take for granted that everybody knew the Bible. Everybody knew the stories of the Bible. Everybody knew the morality of the Bible. But we live in a post-Christian time where that's not the case any longer. It's kind of like when Jonah went to Nineveh and it said they didn't know their right hand from their left hand. That's what we're dealing with now. We're dealing with people that don't have a clue. Like, oh, is that sort of thing frowned upon? You know, they don't know. They don't know that these things are wrong. And so we have an opportunity to to bring people to Christ and to teach them what, what the Great Commission tells us to do, we are to teach the people to obey all that Jesus commanded. And so that's the opportunity to do that. But that means we're going to have to spend time with people, meaningful time with people. A lot of you have years of walking with Jesus, but you're keeping it to yourselves, right? You need to share the wealth. There's people out there that could benefit from hanging out with you and spending time with you and learning from you. The church has to be rooted in the acts and the words of Jesus and pass those things on to faithful men and women who will continue to do the same. We have to duplicate. We have to replicate. We've got to do this. And as we get bigger, we've got to do it. Because you know what? We're going to need more pastors. We're going to need more elders, deacons. Well, pastors and elders, same thing. Servants, Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, worship teams, on and on and on. If we can duplicate all of these things, guess what we get to do? We get to go out to do more work. We really want to see that happen. This is why we also need to invest fully in our youth. Um, 
I love that this church is full of young people. Uh, week after week, we see young people here. We need to see them as a vital part of this church. We need to invest everything we can into them because they are the future of the church. So if you're a young person here, thank you for coming. We love you. We're glad you're here. And we want to we want to pour into you guys because you really are um, the next generation of people in the church. Another stat that I came across recently says that only 1% of all Christians actually reproduce themselves by making disciples. 1%. And if that holds true... That means in a church right now, like, a, you know, this, that's basically two, two people. And you know I'm doing it. And maybe one of the other pastors is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need three for that to work. So, no, I, I wish I was doing it more than I am. I just, I couldn't help but think, but what if 50 were doing it? What if 100 were doing it? And, and there's a good chance, like everything else we do, we make discipleship much harder than it has to be. Because I think we, we tend to programmatize everything. And that's not a word, but it sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? We tend to programmatize everything. So discipleship happens on Tuesdays from 10 to 11 at this coffee shop. 10 minutes of prayer, 15 minutes of catching up, you know, 20 minutes in a book. And then check the box until next Tuesday. That's kind of like discipleship. And then discipleship is completed. Well, discipleship is never completed. I mean, nobody's ever like fully discipled. You're going to, it's, it's an ongoing thing that just keeps going and we don't need to overcomplicate it. Maybe there's a much more natural way that we see in the book of Acts for discipleship to occur. I don't think there's a problem, by the way, with meeting with people on a regular basis and doing that. That's fine to do it that way, but, but that you can also do it by spending time with each other, which is what the early church did a lot. Do you need to learn how to follow Christ? Hang around with people that are following Christ. Do you need help in your marriage or with parenting? Spend some time with people who have been there and done that. It's amazing what what happens when you just are with other Christians together living normal kind of organic life. You have an opportunity today to go do this very thing. Head over to the Phyllis's house after church and be around other Christians. And discipleship is one of those things that kind of naturally starts to happen as you get to know each other. Spend time with each other. Open up. It's risky. You have to open up, right? Some people don't like to do that. But here's an opportunity. We, we call this gospel community, by the way. Gospel community, where you get together in community with the purpose of basically just encouraging each other in your walk with Christ, spurring each other on to love and good works, edifying each other, building each other up. One of the greatest ways for this to take place is just to sit around a table of food together and, and, and get to know each other. That's what you see in the early church a lot. So the third way that we make Jesus' works and teaching known is through preaching. The church must be committed to preaching God's word. And that means the parts people want to hear as well as the people or the, the parts that people don't want to hear. Um, the book of Acts, there's several sermons or, or speeches that we see preached in the book of Acts. Peter preaches eight times. Paul preaches nine times. And even though Stephen only preaches once, it was a doozy, right? It's a really good sermon. Um, if we know anything from watching kind of the moral chaos that's existing all around us today, I was just talking to, to Dave before church a little bit about some of the things that are going on in some of our states right now as far as their legislation. And it, it's literally like, it, it's almost like this can't be real. There, there's no way this, this stuff can be real. And yet it's happening right now. And so if we don't have some kind of a moral compass, a way to objective, objectively look at and determine what truth is, we're in big trouble because right now the world can't tell right from wrong. God's word gives us that. God's word is perfect. God's word is truth. It's living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's powerful. 
and effective to transform lives. I love watching God's word wash over people and change them. We don't have to do anything half the time, but preach the word and watch it take its effect. It contains all we need for life and godliness. A church that abandons God's word or starts to pick and choose what matters. Uh, There's a guy out that wants to unhitch right now from the Old Testament. A very popular teacher out there that says we need to, as a church, we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. You're on a slippery slope to irrelevance, apostasy, and in my opinion, just flat dying as a church and, and, and probably should at that point. We are committed to preaching God's word here. We're going to just preach the whole counsel of God, and we love it when the church gathers together to hear God's word preached. So those are a few ways that churches can ensure that Jesus' works and teachings are known. But there's a couple other things that Luke mentions in these first five verses that we need to also imitate. Verse 3 says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom of God. So Jesus presented himself alive, and we need to do the same thing. Jesus is alive. Jesus rose from the dead. That is what authenticates the person and work of Christ, right? It puts Christianity head and shoulders above every other religion that's out there. Our founder rose from the dead. What do you got? You know, it's like that wins. That wins every time. Because Jesus lives we also will live. The grave has been defeated and we have hope of eternal life, which means we have hope of the second thing that the church needs to do is teach people about the coming kingdom. You know, we don't talk about heaven a lot. We don't talk about the kingdom a lot for some reason. But I'll tell you what, the weirder things get here, (laughs) the more I am just longing to be there. People today need hope and the church has plenty of hope. So no matter what you're facing in this life, we can consider it what Paul said, which I still blow him away by. He said, I consider what I'm going through just light and momentary. And I'm like, Paul, look at what you're going through, dude. Light and momentary compared to eternity. Yeah. We have something awaiting us that is the greatest thing we could ever. I mean, we can't even imagine it, honestly. Our Savior is alive and he's coming again. So I'm really excited that we're going to be studying through the book of Acts again. Um, In many ways, it feels like we're kind of on the precipice of something big. And the book of Acts creates this foundation for us to look at what the church is all about. What are we supposed to be about as a church? The book of Acts abruptly ends at chapter 28. The rest of it is still being written and, and will continue until his return. But none of the things we talked about today are possible if we're relying on ourselves to accomplish it. If we're going to have any success at all, we need to pay attention to what verse 4 tells us. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He's telling them, stay put and wait. Don't even think about taking a step forward without the Holy Spirit. And, and as a church, we need to hear that loud and clear. We don't have to wait, but, but we do have to rely. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit for everything that we do. A church without the Holy Spirit is like a rocket without fuel. It ain't going nowhere, right? And so we need to pray that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon this place in power. I'm talking like shake the room kind of stuff that we see in the, in the book of Acts to where we are, we are infused with this power and this passion and this love, all the fruits of the Spirit to be able to go out 
and be effective in each other's lives and in the life of this community. So start reading the book of Acts and start getting excited about what God has for us. Father, thank you so much for the early church, for the things we can learn from it. Thank you for what you've done here in the last eight years. Lord, we don't want to kid ourselves. We want to know that we are a church that is following hard after you and that is pleasing you and that is doing your will. And we also don't want to rely on ourselves in any way. So, Lord, we ask right now, may your Holy Spirit fall upon us in power. May he may He just shine through this place. May it look like light, like at night when you see one of those, those spotlights flashing through the air. May that be what this place looks like. May there just be light beaming out of this place because your saints are here. And may you give us opportunity after opportunity to reach those who don't know Christ. Lord, if there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus, I pray that today would you would just do something by your spirit to wake them up to their condition, to help them to see that they are an enemy of yours at this point if they don't bow before the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Thank you, Father, so much. In Jesus' name, amen.